0: Yeah.
1: All right. Let's, let's go. Let's go. I believe we're live. We should be. I think I think this is just I think this is just happening. Cool. As we talk, as we speak, I always uh, going to let a couple of seconds go um, because sometimes I was almost sure that we we're live, And then for whatever reason, I wasn't because I press the wrong button or something, and uh, people are like, hmm, what's going on? Like, why don't I see, I don't see no screen or whatever, but we are live, and everything is going fine and smooth. See, this is what happens when uh, my producers are not here, and I'm talking about uh, Andrew and John. They just abandon me on the stream, guys. Nope.
2: Andrew <laughs> does make it go a lot smoother. He's very good. Yeah, very Andrew good.
1: is, uh, you know, he's a master of sandwiches. He's Chipotle life and and all that stuff. And he's also Dave Franco. So so, you know, it well, can, you, you, you just cannot go wrong when you when you have such a team. So, yeah. Anyways, um, wait, one thing
2: isn't he trying to distance himself from Chipotle Life? I just need to ask. I thought that Chipotle Life was done.
1: I think so, but the problem is that I don't want to let him.
2: Okay, okay, all right. That's a very maché answer, so all right. (laughs)
1: Uh, in a very similar fashion, that uh, you don't want to let go the potato stuff.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I right. actually, I yeah. actually
1: started embracing it, and believe it or not, but uh, some of the Twitter stuff, and potatoes and Twitter, and uh, not Twitter, sorry, Twitch. Um, some of the shenanigans happening there, yeah, it's pretty good. We we went to some Ill- Illuminati shit there, so. Good. Yeah, it's uh, it's getting deeper, deeper into potatoes. Um, anyways, so we are live tonight. It's Friday. Uh, I'm pretty sure normal normal folks are enjoying that time partying or something like that, but we are artists, so we don't. We don't party. <laughs> <laughs> that's not uh, right. <laughs> uh, and um, we have a pretty interesting stream today because that's a conversation that a lot of uh, people are asking for. Uh, there was uh, quite a lot of QA questions happening every now and then. Uh, over past uh, our cafe which is about. US immigration and how it is to get visas and what it what does it take to work here and um, and I figured I' gonna try to find a friend and a person that knows everything that I know went through the same process almost on all occasions and uh, went through some of the bullshit that kind of comes across when you really want to come here and, and live in America. Um, and it so happened that, you know, that person is Alex, who was already here uh, previously. I think we had a stream about video games, if I'm correct. Right. Is that correct, Alex?
2: Yeah, we talked about um, it was like a bunch of different people from Sony Santa Monica and from Naughty Dog. And-
1: right. Private. And all that stuff, and, I, and it came up kind
2: that. of briefly, but not. Um, we didn't really discuss it in detail.
1: And then, to your credit, we also managed to uh, invite your friend as well, uh, an actual lawyer. Believe it or yeah. not. <laughs> believe it or not. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, it's Robert. Uh, let me. I- I'm gonna probably butcher your last name. Herrera. Is that how you say it? I Close enough. No, um, it's Herrera. Okay. Herrera. Okay. I apologize. Yeah. I am you know, I'm from Poland, so I can excuse myself pretty much for any offenses that I do because <laughs> because like because... I don't
2: accept. <laughs> I never accept. So you don't have to either don't feel pressured to accept. I know, I
1: know. <laughs> but anyways, uh so um Maybe, so maybe let's maybe let's start with this. Uh, Robert, if you could just talk a little bit about yourself uh, so that our our listeners can know exactly what you do uh, in a little more details. And then, uh, Alex, you could do the same and then we can jump right into the conversation. Sure. That sounds good.
0: Yeah, that sounds great. Um, Well, geez, where to start? Uh, So lawyers like to talk a lot about themselves, so uh, I'm going to try to (laughs) curb myself as much as I can. Um, So I I started actually in immigration as a paralegal um, before I even went to law school. This was uh, years ago now. Um, I want to say eight, maybe eight years ago. And I was working at an immigration uh, law firm there in Boston. um, And that firm was uh, primarily focused on uh, working with employers on bringing their employees, getting them the right paperwork uh to come into the united states first as um and i'm going to get into technical terms in a bit so um you know i'll, I'll try to maybe explain those as, as those come along um th- typically a lot of people come in as what we call non-immigrants they come in on temporary visas at first allow them um, to work and stay in the u.s for temporary periods and then with the ultimate goal of maybe looking at green cards and hopefully maybe even citizenship later down the road Um, So, I started there as a paralegal, uh, figured I liked it a lot. Um, Against all the advice from the attorneys I was working with there, uh, I decided to go to law school. Um, And then at the end of law school, I decided I wanted to get back into immigration. Um, You know, I've got, uh, uh, my parents are are both from the Philippines, and they immigrated to the U.S., and they've got a great story. And uh, I I really got into it because of, of learning and hearing about people's stories how they immigrated here and i want to be able to help with the legal part of that Um, so that fast forwards me to today i'm uh, an attorney and associate with uh, a firm called jackson and hertogs in san francisco in the bay area Uh, we assist a lot of employers of course the tech startups that are based there um, a lot of um, a couple of game developers actually um, uh, a lot of, of other industries and doing the same thing helping uh, that those companies work with their employees uh, to secure again a foot in the door with a non-immigrant visa type or something like that, or um, you know going through the green card process and helping them navigate what it's required uh, for them to to come to the U.S. Uh, work here and and make a life here.
1: Hmm.
0: Um, it's basically it in a nutshell.
1: Yeah, that's great. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, responsible, and I know it's pretty difficult job to do and uh, i've been through a roller, co- roller coaster of different lawyers uh and i can tell i apologize some, there's there's some that take it really seriously and really try there are some that i don't want to name and never will allegedly I've, I've heard i heard is it true if i say allegedly that just basically absolves me from all responsibility of what i say uh, I think so. <laughs> Uh, yeah, there's definitely lawyers that don't take things seriously and lose documents and stuff like that. So, yeah. um, but yeah, uh, uh, it's, it's really interesting to, to know how the whole process looks like. And it's funny because like, again, as I said, m- both me and Alex kind of went through very similar, similar stories and processes. Alex, you were a little different though, uh, because you came from Canada, right?
2: Yeah, uh, so I think that the only difference would have been that I um, had a NAFTA visa, a TN visa, which isn't... Robert actually knows all the facts on this, this might be wrong. I don't think it's a real visa, right? It's like, no, it's well, not it's, the same.
0: It's, well, it's 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 different. Um, uh, so I'm going to try to, you know, avoid being as, as legally used and technical as I can. But uh, so for, for uh, persons coming from Canada, if you have a Canadian passport, um, the, the immigration laws have specific, basically, outs. Um, it makes the, the process a little bit easier. And one of those things that, that Alex is talking about is, is as a part of, of the NAFTA, which I'm sure is uh, on everybody's minds now considering the uh, U.S. election and what's going on there, um, as part of the NAFTA, there's a, there's a visa type called the TN. Um, and and it's, it's weird calling it a visa type because uh, what it really does for, for Canadian folks um, it, it's actually available for 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 persons from Mexico as well, but for specifically for, for persons from Canada, um, they can basically just to go to the US border and directly apply at the border to come in, as long as they qualify under this NAFTA specific thing. Um, so they don't have to, you know, a lot of people, they, if you're familiar with the process even passingly, a lot of people have to go to a US consulate or US embassy and you have to apply for a visa stamp, and you have to wait a ridiculous amount of time yeah. uh, to be able to, to come yeah. in. For, for Canadians, that's not necessarily true. You don't have to do that process. You can just go either to an international airport that's coming to the U.S. or you can go to the U.S. border um, and you can apply directly there. The actual reality of, of how that works is a lot more complicated, of course, but it, it's simpler in that sense. And, and that's kind of what the TN is, is about. Um, and then the other important thing that, that like Alex was just saying, you know, there, there's some specifics to it. Under the TN, there's some really specific categories that you have to fit under in order to qualify. Um, Alex, I, you know, I, I actually should have checked in with you first if, uh, you know, are you okay with me talking about the details of your case? It's one of the ethical things I have to do as an attorney. Oh uh,
2: yeah. Yeah, no, I'm pretty, I'm pretty <laughs> okay. open with that stuff with anybody that asks. So <laughs> okay. yeah, no, it's cool. Um,
0: just, you know, just gotta get an own record and all that. But, um, uh, so for Alex's case, you know, there's a specific category called for graphic designers. Um, so if you if you have a certain um, if your professional background if you can prove that you've done you know a certain level of graphic design work or if you have a degree um, in that um, you can qualify for this TN category uh, under the NAFTA and you can come to the U.S. doing that. Um, but as as Alex could probably tell you, you know, the reality is it's a lot more difficult. Um, you encounter folks at the U.S. border who are exceedingly hard to work with. I, I want to be, you know, diplomatic about it, but the, it's <laughs> it's 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 a very you know it's a very difficult process. Um, uh, you know, that's but but it's there. There's something spe- basically The the long and the short of it is there's a specific thing for for Canadian nationals that um, you know the current treaty, the a treaty, allows for.
1: Right. I guess it's like when you go to the border and they ask graphics designer, that's not a real job. (laughs) No, my, my, my brother did a website for free for me. So I don't know about that. (laughs) I'm joking. (laughs) Um, yeah, (laughs)
2: <laughs> I do, I have gotten people that have been real hard-ass about it and been like, graphic design, eh? There's a lot of people that have that for their TN and you're like, yeah, well, like, it is what I do. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I feel like I'm one of the few people maybe that I legitimately did that as my job. So I, Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry I'm
1: doing graphic design for one of the best companies. One of the best video games com- video games companies out there. I'm really I do have sorry to say, I, I had money s- making it too.
2: <laughs> I had so many people. Uh, I still do who are like naughty dog. Hmm. Is Uncharted 4 gonna be good? I was like, uh, yeah. Like, cool. So like, we can get past all this stuff. You can just like let me in now, right? Like, it well, was always like a yeah when they liked games. For me, it was <laughs>
1: interesting when I was applying for visa myself uh, with my family. It was in, uh, w- when I was back in Germany, and uh, I went for, because it's it's a, it's a totally different process, and I'm you know I'm sure we're gonna get into uh, details because that's probably what the most majority of people here want to hear about. Um, so cool. it's a it's a funny anecdote when I was uh, in Germany, I was there for an interview before I uh, before my visa was, was supposed to be approved, and the immigration officer is looking at the application of like looking at me uh, really weird all the time. I was like what is his deal, right? What's going on there? And then, um, and he looked up, so, what exactly is Naughty Dog? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I've gotten some of those too. <laughs> like a so dog what, what kind of comp? What kind of company is that, you know? <laughs> what kind of company is Naughty Dog? And, you know, for someone who doesn't follow video games, that's, that's like, uh, that could be kind of funny. But then, like, uh, when we were flying in, and, uh, our visa status was being checked on the airport before we entered, like one of the, one of the officers checking the status, like super, super narrative uncharted. It was like, Oh, naughty dog. Oh, shit. Like <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It's going to go smooth then, I guess. <laughs> um, it, it
2: is important to note that they do have those, those officers have jurisdiction. Like they can say, if you're being a dick to them, they can be like, cool not letting you in yeah. so they have yeah. the final say on those things and so every time I went to the border be very polite and I mean you should do this anyway you should be a polite person no matter yeah, don't what Just be a like,
1: dick but general, um, like if me. you
2: are a person that tends to be a bit of an asshole um, <laughs> you should keep in mind that they they can absolutely tell you that they're not gonna let you in it is their they have final say over that yeah now, I don't think they can do that with a green card though am I right with that Robert
0: uh, actually they can't all
2: right. <laughs> so I guess I'll never be a dick to a border patrol agent
0: just just uh. get naturalized as soon as you can and then you can be a dick as all well. you know I'm just kidding um... <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> but um, um, one of the one of the big things about the border so the agency we're talking about here is US and uh, US customs and border protection so it's a part of the US Department of Homeland Security which of course was put into place after, you know, the events of 9-11 and all of that. Um, the reason I, I just spouted all that out is that does give context to how the CBP acts, the, the Custom Officers Act. They have huge chips on their shoulders a lot of times. Um, and, you know, they, maybe maybe it's wrong, maybe it's right. They, they feel that they are in the position where they're protecting the U.S. from persons who could harm it. Um, and the law... Uh, empowering them has given them a lot of leeway, a lot of authority at the border to say either, okay, we think you're fine to come in, we're going to let you in, or we think we don't like you because of X, Y, and Z reasons, and we're not going to let you into the U. S. because we think you know at some point you're going to harm the U. S. in some way. Um, whether or not that's factually actually true, of course, you know it, it varies. Um, but that that's the position they're in. They hold a lot of power at the border. And uh, Alex is absolutely right. You know, the, one of the, the, the things that I tell uh, my clients all the time is try to be, you know, just be as diplomatic as you can. Um, you might run into an officer who's having a terrible day. Uh, they, they, you know, they just heard uh, uh, bad news uh, from their family or something like that. And, and that affects the way that they're working and letting people in, um, or they may, they may have, maybe have missed breakfast and they're just really hungry. Um either way, uh, you want to just you know be diplomatic about when you're when you're talking with these folks. Um, and then the other the other thing I always tell clients is is that they should try, you know, um they should try to go if they're ever going to the border at all. They should try to go during you know, quote unquote normal business hours between nine a m and five pm uh, because anytime any, anytime you go to the border outside of those times or on the weekends, Um, you're going to get officers who are either, they're not really great, they're not really happy to be there at those off hours or they're not really well trained. Um, So you're going to run into difficulties there. Um, But yeah, they they hold a lot of power at the borders and um, it's just something that I I don't see that part of U.S. immigration going away anytime soon.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, No, I've noticed that usually uh, everyone is just chill, you know, just like, let's, let's just get through that. out. You, you have to wait in the 40 minute line anyways, especially mm-hmm. on LAX or even sometimes oh, yeah. the line is like an hour. So it's like a long, long way. And you're like, you. the last thing you want to do is, you know, get pissy and, and then get, uh, you're like, yeah, well, f- f- fly home, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, that kind of deal. After 15 hour flight, you're like, yeah, time to and, go and back.
0: You know, you're if you travel a lot, if you go go through the airports a lot, you're you're invariably gonna get an officer who is just having that bad day, or they might yeah. treat you. You know, they might they might be the rudest officer alive, and and the only thing you can do is you know, just try to be on your best behavior because if it is if it is in fact you know an officer who is just completely out of line, that that you know they they hold a lot of power at that moment, but you you also in your way if you are doing everything you can to you know, obey what they're asking, try to answer as truthfully as you you know. And of course you have to say, tell them the truth. Yeah, um, of course. But, but, but you know, you, if you're trying to cooperate as much as possible, if you can get that on the record that you weren't doing anything on your end wrong, you at least have that going for you. If for some reason you have to challenge it later.
1: Yeah, because for whatever reason, like let's say if they really tell, tell you fly home and then, uh, you know, you're you're just about to start a new job or something like that you can always, you know, contact your HR and then try to get solved. Because the problem is, is like when you, when you get uh, your entry rejected from what I've been hearing and you, you can probably correct me on that is that it just becomes a little more difficult to come back. Is that true or?
0: No, that's true. And and part
1: of the other thing that that's
0: a new trend in immigration, maybe not so new anymore, is that there's a lot of data collection out there now. Um, right. you know, the, the U.S. government hasn't been great, of course, with with technology, but they're they're getting there. Um, so they're recording the entries now. They're, they're doing it a lot more uh, with regularity. Um, I'm sure a lot of, of the listeners out there uh, are familiar with the new electronic uh, I-94 system where you can look and check your entries um, to the U.S., which is a great system in, in some ways because you can log on, you know, you can find out um, where U.S. immigration has recorded your, your last entries to the U.S., but oh, the U.S. government—that's that. uh, actually so. So the website is—is is, I, I think you just if you could do a Google search for i94, you can you can easily find it. Um, I'm I'm not remembering the full address right now, but it, it's pretty easy to find. Hmm. But it, it it the other thing you have to, to be aware of is that you know the, the flip side is is that the U.S. government's got—they're um, they're recording all this information now, so they can see when you've tried to enter the border uh, at, I'll uh, say like Vancouver. Um, versus, you know, if you try to, to re-enter again over at Peace Bridge, just, you know, using Canada to the U.S. as an example, they can see all that. Um, yeah. So that that informs them. Um, so you just want to be aware.
1: I uh, mean, yeah, it's, it's actually good, right? I mean, they want to make sure that you're not trying to enter when you're rejected for whatever reason. They want to have, like, a safety measure, like, check why exactly you were rejected on that entry, you know, and uh, stuff like that. Uh, I want to kind of roll back a yeah. little bit uh, and sort of maybe go through the whole process of how let's say let's say for whatever reason, uh, you know your portfolio is great, and uh, you get that job offer from uh, from a studio in U.S. And let's say they they do a phone interview, it goes great, and you get an invite to come over for an on-site interview. Mm-hmm. So to the to the to my experience, it lo- it looks pretty much like this. Uh, if you're from the country that has a visa wa- uh, weaver program uh, with the United States, that means you're just buying tickets and flying in. Uh, there are certain things you have to do prior to flight, which usually every, um, every airline has, like a, like a good guideline of what you have to prepare in order to, you know, not screw up on the on even on the visa weaver thing uh, as, as well and then yep. you just fly in for an interview uh in cases like mine where m- my country even though it's in, in nato and it's been <laughs> an ally uh, the ally of the U- united states like in forever they're still not in the visa weaver program whereas yep. other countries are um I, I think it's the only country in europe that is not a visa weaver program it's, it must be that delicious potatoes that, that <laughs> are in poland <laughs> <laughs> uh, that they're just af- afraid of. <laughs> um, so for me, it was I had to get a travel uh, traveling visa, and uh, I got actually a business travel visa for ten years when I when I was applying. Uh, I don't remember exactly why they got me that one because normally you just get the tourist visa, mm-hmm. uh, on which you're just flying in. And here's a tricky question because uh, I've I've heard mixed. Uh, Mixed guidelines of what are you supposed to say on the border when they ask you why you're entering U.S. Uh, you know, some people are saying, "Yeah, I'm just flying here for a job interview," which I believe someone could argue is actual work, um, and I don't know if it's true. Mm-hmm. Is that is it something you could uh, perhaps uh, talk about a little bit? Or yeah, definitely. Um,
0: no, no, I don't know the answer. I'm sorry. No, yeah, I can talk about <laughs> that for sure. Um, so, so in my view, so I'm I'm gonna take it. I'm gonna take it, kind of two ways because that's how lawyers think. We always right. You know, right. We we make the positive argument, and we always try to think of what's negative argument is and what we have to counter. Sure. Um, actually, so maybe I'll I'll start with that negative first. Um, you know, a lot of uh, border officers that you might encounter might see that as. Um, well let, let me go back to first what the the, the, the b1b2 that visa is yeah so that visa is coming in you're, you're coming to the US uh, and your intent is supposed to be you're only going to stay here temporarily either yeah. because you're coming here as a tourist so that's you know part of the the tourist visa part or you're coming for business which is the business part um, and for business that means you're you know you're just going to be coming to attend short meetings with uh, some company or some entity in the US mm-hmm. and then your intent is you're going to leave so i could easily see an, a, a border officer um, saying hey wait a minute you know you're you're coming here for job interviews that means your intent is going that that means you intend to stay in the us for a, a long time uh, which is not necessarily true a lot of things can happen with a job interview you know you could you couldn't get you might not get the job you may be interviewing for a job in the us but it's for somewhere else a whole bunch of things um, so in that sense you know an officer they could take it the wrong way Um, and, and I think it it all has to do with the way that you phrase your answer. This isn't to say, you know, this is not to say that you should lie or misrepresent the truth. And I would never, ever advise a client or anybody to do that. But I would say that, you know, even when you're telling the truth, there are certain ways that you can, um, phrase your answer. There are certain ways you can, you know, you can still make sure you're, you're, you're absolutely answering the questions that are asked of you. But you're not providing you know extraneous information that a border officer could suddenly go off the rails and say oh well i feel like that's a reason to deny you so here's where i flip to the positive side where i say that you know if, if you have an officer who's asking you what the purpose of your visit is you know it, i i would i would say you could feel comfortable just saying hey i'm visiting you know i'm just visiting uh, uh, companies where um, in the united states for uh you know potential work opportunities um, just keep your answer as simple as you can. Um, I mean, I, you know, I, I normally would say, you know, just a, a job interview, um, an invite for a job interview should be harmless, uh, and and you can answer that way. Um, but I, I do I do want to you know, always caution that you're you are going to run into perhaps that that one officer who either thinks that that's your intent to stay here permanently or yeah that's um, true or you may, you actually, I've heard this a lot from a lot of, of clients where they they run into officers who outright say, um, Hey, you're coming to the U S to steal our jobs. No, (laughs) no joke. Now that's, it sounds like a stereotype, but I have, I have had a couple of clients now tell me they've run into that. And, and, and part of that was, um, they, they went to lesser traveled or trafficked borders, or sometimes they went to the, the border crossing at, at, uh, non-business hours and they ran to an officer who you know again it's it's either not they're not well-trained they're not experienced sometimes they, they just are, are a little bit maverick and then they they do that um, so you know it, the 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 thing I would tell people is is you know of course again you cannot you cannot lie you have to answer the questions that are asked of you truthfully um, but you can also just you know keep your answers short and simple just just at, answer the question that the officer asks of you. And uh, um, sometimes you'll get an officer who may ask you a question and then stay silent. They might be writing notes down or they might be typing something to their computer. They're using that as a technique to try to get you to volunteer more than you need to. Um, right. So, you know, again, just answer simply. Uh, say, you know, like for in the example of, of the interview, you could say, hey, I'm visiting you know whatever the company is you don't even have to send, mention that's really an interview you're just saying i'm meeting people at x company yeah and that's all you have to answer uh, i think that's being still you're still being truthful because that's who you're meeting with and you're you know you're not lying
1: yeah that's true that is true and that's what i was that was what i was told uh, to do as well just say yeah i'm coming for a meeting a uh, business meeting with x and y um sure. so so after that, what happens is uh, I'm just going to sort of continue the story the, the way I the way I see it and, and remember is you get a stamp in your in your passport. Uh, you usually get like a little card with it. I don't I don't remember what it's called, but it basically has uh, a date on which uh, you're supposed to leave the United States, uh, which is basically like how long you can stay. It's, it's basically attached to your one of the pages of your passport. Yeah. Um, and I've heard you should not lose it ever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, um, that's actually the, so that's the I-94 card.
0: Right. And, um, and and like I was mentioning earlier, the US immigration has moved that to an online system now. So um, in fact, they, they I believe they've stopped giving out the I-94, the paper cards entirely. Um, so it's important now for anybody coming into the US to, to check online after they come into the US uh, mm-hmm. on the online I-94 system. Uh, but that's probably what you got
1: yeah 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 that was yeah that was that and um and it used to be that when you leave you give it back to the officer i've heard that if you don't do that you might actually get banned from from entry for like 10 years or something like that is that true
0: no uh not necessarily um and and because again it moved online um that shouldn't happen anymore Right. okay what, what sometimes in a very rare in very rare situations what used to happen was if, if you didn't give that card back at when you exited the U.S. Um, U.S. immigration didn't have any record of, of uh, that you actually left. Right. So uh, in in the dark ages of ten years ago, <laughs> when uh, when you know the the U.S. government was still not as computer savvy, uh, they they didn't have you know good records. So they thought uh, gotcha. uh, in some cases that somebody didn't leave and they were still here. Um, so that's basically the reason why, but that shouldn't be happening anymore.
1: Okay, that's good to know. That's that's one of the headaches to, to be removed from from uh, your head when you're when you're uh, entering. So after that, let's say interview goes well and uh, someone gives you a job offer, there's uh, two types of visas that you might be uh, uh, eligible for. And to my understanding, there's, so there's the H1B and there's O1. Uh, from what I understand, H-1B is a visa that is perhaps the easiest to get as a worker. Uh, it mm-hmm. has its own uh, set of rules, obviously. And it's, a little, from what I hear, it's a little worse than O one one in terms of, like, what, uh, what can you do after that? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's easier to get. But the only problem is that uh, companies uh, have a limited amount of those visas every year because they are granted by the government to the companies. Uh, so they have X amount and usually when it comes to video game studios, those will go to programmers because they usually need programmers more than they need concept artists or illustrators or mm-hmm. designers. Uh, so your only option might be uh, applying for O1. 01. Now, O1 01 has requirements and uh, And maybe we could we could go into like what exactly you need to be prepared for when you really want to be on O1. Because like, for instance, I when I was applying, I didn't qualify for H1B at all. Like I was like, Mm. "Mm, you don't qualify, you're not you're not even considered for that visa. The only options you have is O1. And for that, they needed the X amount of years of experience uh, or X amount of years of, uh, you know, uh, uh, bachelor's degree. Like having a bachelor's degree or equivalent of that in uh, experience, years years of experience in in work. Like you're actually working in that industry. Um, do you do, you, Robert. Do you exactly know what those numbers are? Uh, I'm sorry. In terms of
0: which one, the O uh, one, the O one. Um, yeah. I, I, I there's there's not an exact number that I could really quote. Um, so the O one is for for extraordinary ability. Yeah. And you know the 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 law does have they do have specific requirements on what you need to show to to qualify for the O1. Yeah. It's typically a combination of of things like um, you've received national or internationally recognized awards. The the typical go-to I always go to is you know the Nobel Prize is the one that people know. But if if you've won a, awards in arts that are you know recognized by a country or or internationally across the world, that's great. Um, even if you have maybe lesser known awards, that still might be uh, pretty significant. That's important um, yeah, because yeah. If, you have, if you have a bunch of those, those are an indication that your your work is recognized. That that you know that somebody values your work, um, where you've earned awards for that. Uh, so the, the, and then there are a couple of other things. Uh, um, you know, publications about your work, publications that have been written about you. Um, if if. U.S. immigration sees that there are a bunch of writers out there who have, you know, they've reviewed your work, they've lauded it as as something that's interesting or groundbreaking. That's good evidence. Um, the other things that they typically look for is if you've published your own things, uh, you know, in, in the case of, of artists, that might be in in, in uh, terms of what work you might have, have uh, put out there. Um, if you've got an extensive amount of work that's been received really well by the community, that might be something. Um, it's usually more of a combination of those things. And yeah. I'd say, you know in in terms of of um, getting yourself to the point where you might qualify for the o one, I, I think it's it's very similar and and i'm you know i'm I'm an outsider to the, to um, the art world, but I, I I'd like to think I at least know some some things because of of my um, knowledge of the o one. you know it, I think it is similar to building up your portfolio in the sense that you're you're trying to to Basically, collect all of the works that you've done. Um, show that you've got a good amount of experience in whatever type of, of art you specialize in. Um, and then, but it's also taking an extra step where you're um, you're trying to also gather evidence of of you know the either um, um, art institutions or or countries or states or stuff like that having recognized the value of your art. That's the other piece of it. And um, uh, it, it's really more of a combination of those things. And, and and yeah. you know, the interesting thing about the O-1 um, and, and, and the related visa called the E, or the related uh, green card pr- uh, pathway called the EB-1 is that it's more of, um, it, it's less of, of a hard line with, say, like the H-1B, where you have to have a bachelor's degree or the position requires a bachelor's degree in a specific type of field. Uh, with the O-1 and, and the EB-1, you know, they're, they're, don't get me wrong, they're very difficult. Uh, but at yeah. the same time, you have a lot more leeway in where you can show your a combination. If you've got a great portfolio and you have a lot of people recognizing you for what you've done, you can provide that as evidence instead. It's less of a hard line type thing. Um, if you can provide this a good combination of evidence, that might be enough for you. Um, yeah. So that's that's one of the the good things about the O1 there.
1: Yeah, that's what I was told too, like, it's never, it's never enough, right? Like whatever you can gather, whatever that is, even if it's like a small print somewhere, bring that in because every, every, every single thing can chip into your chances of getting, getting in there. You know, uh, yeah. if you worked on on video games or, or or on some projects that were were well received by by the community already, like a nice games or whatever for film that you worked on or did illustrations for books that were selling really well and are, are popular. Uh, those things matter. They will, they'll will speak really well for your case and yeah. get you better chances. If you publish your work, let's say, uh, you have those books out there, digital art masters and, and, uh, expose and all those books that are, you know, the, uh, the art books that are coming out every now and then. Um, uh, I was so lucky that I had quite a bunch of publications already, including some of the, uh, book covers as well which which tremendously helped uh because it was just noted all right this guy was in the cover of this this and that and those are like actual art books recognized by the industry as you know as a standard um so that was really helpful and helped the o1 case it's a really difficult uh thing that i that i've heard like just you have to be really good uh, uh, more or less to be able to apply for o1 now h1b is a little different let's say if uh Let's say company can can get you on H one B. How how different is that process?
2: Sorry, just a second. One thing about the the before we switch about the O... Um, (laughs) sorry, I'm talking (laughs) very little because it's so hard for me to talk and paint at the same time. No, it's all right. Um, but the um, I was really like overwhelmed because I'm not nearly as known as Mache. Um and UI is pretty difficult to get like known in anyways. Um so I was like I I Nobel Peace Prize of UI definitely don't have that. Um and I was very little publications. I had The Last of Us, which was probably my biggest um, selling point um, but I had to transfer on the O1 from a TN because TN is what's called it's not dual intent so you cannot apply for a green card while on a TN you need to switch to a different visa type
0: um, I actually have a, oh sorry to interrupt I have a thing about that but go, sorry go on
2: cool yeah that is an important thing and people need to know about that one but um, so I had to switch to the one and I was like shit I've won zero awards I won like a thing when I was in second grade for writing a cool poem um, so yeah, it, I still got that. Um, and it was just a combination of all the other things. So don't get like completely turned off by that one because you're not Maché Cuchiara, like you can still get it. Um, and it's just a matter of having enough known work experience, like a, a game as big as the last of us, um, that, you know, that counts for, for quite right. a bit, but so did having really good references from, other I had Shaddy write me a reference <laughs> <Nice>. um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> Good old and So Shady. yeah, and a guy from uh, Kotaku wrote me a reference so like people that are known in their fields and in the, in the world of games gave me these great <laughs> references and that really went far but I was so freaked out but I was like I am not going to get this oh I also did talks that's a big thing if you go and do guest lectures at schools or mm-hmm. at events or anything like that—that that all counted. Um, yeah. So even if you're like me, and you're like, I don't have—I don't think I have that. Don't don't write that one off, and definitely talk to a lawyer uh, like Robert about it because they'll help you figure out. They'll know more than you do if you have the credentials for that.
1: Yeah, of course, of course. Nice plug, thanks. <laughs> ah. There you go. <laughs> um, hey, why not? Of, why not? A couple, a couple of thousand want... people watching this uh, at the end of the day, so it's yeah. all good it's all good hey yeah. i've even heard that uh being on the podcast like this one can help you especially if you have a couple thousand views so <laughs> you know you, you no. know you guys know what you have to do just share the podcast like i'm just gonna shamelessly plug it right now share the art cafe to everyone make sure everyone subscribes we get thousands of thousands of views get a um, amount of subscriptions as pewdiepie has and then you, you're just going to be famous when i invite you like hey machay can you help me with visa hey. <laughs> just, you
2: are going to get so many out. requests now you just
1: and, and was... the best part it's is not not, not wrong <laughs> oh! damn that wasn't that was a, that was a nail to the coffin dug
2: your own grave yeah, I know. <laughs> uh,
1: i'm super busy guys i rarely respond everybody to hit up machay
2: <laughs>
0: Uh, So actually, sorry, I I just want to jump in. Um, A a couple of things that I wanted to to circle back to on that. Um, So actually, going back to the TN, one of the things that I've recently been been working on is um, uh, I've had a couple of clients who are here on the TN, and they actually have been interested in starting the green card. And and Alex is right. So the the TN, you know, you're not supposed to start the green card process, or you're not supposed to have um, what we call is intent to permanently stay in the U.S. while you're on the TN. But the reality is you can do it. Um, you just had to be careful about when you travel uh, because it, it's actually the, the points you know, where you, if you do international travel and you're coming back to the US, on trying to come back to the US on TN and you've got a green card in process, that's the point when it might actually cause you problems. So that's, I'd say, talk to a lawyer if you have a TN but you really want to start the green card through whatever mechanism. Um, yeah. And then the other thing I'll just circle back to what Mache was saying, um, because, having a good network, do, doing networking, having great people in, in the community who'd be willing to back you up later on, that's actually really important for the EO1 as well, because um, yeah. one of the things that's important that, that I think, Miche was you were referencing earlier, um, is that you can get letters of support from uh, other uh, you know artists, other experts, um, other people in the industry. Alex, you were mentioning, you know, the person with Kotaku, um, that's great. If you can, if you can, uh, if you've got you know professional connections who later might be willing to write you uh, a letter of support, that's that's huge. Yeah. I, Sorry, remember,
1: that's there. I remember when I was applying for my green card, I was told, "Yeah, I think ten letters should be fine." I was like, "Nope, I'm gonna get you 50. <laughs> 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 uh, I want my chances to be perfect. Um,
2: I don't think you can over prepare for it for yeah. sure. It's definitely like. The whole process for the O1 took me about a year, I think, to gather all the materials, and that was a lot of me dragging my feet because I was really busy at the time. But um, yeah, like you know, you don't want to like just rush it and like yeah get whoever get your mom to write you a letter or something like that. Like really do (laughs) your due diligence on that. (laughs) My mom thinks I'm really cool. She thinks I'm good at this. She loves my art. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so spend some time like, you know, figuring out who, and I also wanted to have a good variety in mind of the letters, like um, other artists. It wasn't yeah. only people I've worked for either, I've not worked for either of those people, and then the other person, because I think you need three total, was an art director that I had worked for, but I didn't just go for people I'd worked for, I also went for like people that are known in the industry, um, who knew my work and who knew me personally, um, definitely don't just hit up strangers, by the way, don't be like, Hey, Miche, I don't know you. Will you write me a letter of recommendation? <laughs> I am definitely not telling you to do that because they will absolutely say no as they should. Um, but if you know a person who's, who's fairly known, um, and you you're yeah. comfortable with reaching out to them, um, don't think of it as just like, Oh, it has to be a person I've worked with because two of mine I didn't work with.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, so let's jump into H1B because that's probably one that might uh, get more attention uh, for majority of artists that could possibly get here uh, again it's it's uh, it's not necessarily easier one because it's limited uh, how many how many uh, h1bs are released every year for the companies Oh uh, one doesn't have that limitation yeah. like you can apply pretty much any time during the year uh, with h1b it just it's almost like a window of opportunity that the company, companies actually open up uh, hiring when they get H-1Bs and they can now get people in. Is that correct?
0: It's it's actually, so the limitation is actually coming from, um, so when Congress enacted the H-1B program, uh, they put in a hard number limit uh, and tied that limit to the, the government's fiscal year. So that's actually that's right. where it's coming so, so the limit, right? The current limit right now is um, 85,000 total new H-1B numbers granted per year, um, and it's it's um, Congress had in the past actually had that limit higher, uh, but then it, it it reverted back to this lower number, um, and with the the U.S. Congress being as it currently is, uh, it, it doesn't look like they're going to change anything with that at least. For, you know, I, I don't know what's going to bring with this election, but at least until maybe the next couple of years. Right. Um, so, so um, the other feature of it, like I said, it, it was it's tied to the the government's fiscal year. So the, the government's fiscal year starts October 1st um, and you can apply for an H-1B or, or employers, I should say, can apply for the H-1B on uh, starting April 1st uh, for the following October 1st. So in other words, you have companies, let's take um, this coming year as an example. You're, you're going to have a lot of companies who are going to be submitting um, H-1B petitions for employees they want to bring in on April 1st, 2017, um, hoping to get them to start on October 1st, 2017. And what's been happening with the last couple of years is that because the U.S. economy has been you know, improving, uh, a lot of the U.S. employers have they've, they've started to be hiring again, and that includes 4 H-1Bs. Uh, and, and they've been filing huge numbers, huge numbers of H-1B petitions. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, they've been filing those numbers of H-1B petitions where uh, this last year, I think it was about, I want to say, 240,000 petitions were filed for 85,000 slots. Um, so you you get a situation. Now where it's there's a lottery that the the US the agency that does this is the US Citizenship and Immigration Services or just USCIS They run a lottery a randomized selection of those numbers um, To see which ones they'll process and which ones will just not get accepted um, And the when we were looking at the numbers at our firm, it was about maybe 40% um, maybe a little bit worse than that, and you know we we always try to warn our clients and their employees as much as we can. Hey, this is going to kind of stink. Um, the chances are not so great. You're, it's almost like you're playing uh, Vegas odds here, uh, if you're going to get this or not. Um, so that's the that's the the difficult situation right now with the H-1B. Um, there are there are certain places where you could be exempt from that the that limit. Um, if you work for certain types of nonprofits, they're not subjected to the H1B this lottery. Um, you can just come in this is separate. Um, certain countries actually have uh, have other free trade agreements, uh, Singapore and uh, Chile. If you're from those countries, you actually have uh, there's an H1B1 that you could possibly qualify for that uh, circumvents the lottery as well. Um, so, you know, th- these are a couple of things where you have to really talk to a lawyer. There's a lot of details in your background that could potentially help you out a lot. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, yeah, the, the H-1B, um, you know, it's 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 one of the most used uh, uh, visa categories, but it's also, because of that, it's also now one of the more difficult ones to get.
1: It does require to have uh, a degree, right? Like, you have to actually have university degree. Yeah. So, to so. Qualify.
0: So it actually, so it focuses on what the job requires. So right. if the job, if if the position you're gonna get sponsored for on the H-1B is a position that requires that minimum a bachelor's degree in a specific field, uh, then it, it, could poss- it could potentially qualify for the H-1B. So the reason I, I couch it that way is because there are persons out there who will have, you know, the, uh, uh, the, a lot of work experience. And that combination of work experience could actually um, be the equivalent of a degree in U.S. immigration's eyes. So you don't necessarily you the employee you don't necessarily have to have a degree if you have you know a, a significant amount of work experience in a specific uh, uh, field, for example, graphic design or some kind of other art field. Um, you know you could get. Uh, we we work with education evaluators who who look at a person's past education past experience and they're able to determine whether that's the equivalent or not of a degree and sometimes we're we're able to to make the argument that you know th- this person may not have a, a formal degree from an institution but they've got gobs of experience that qualifies them and it's the equivalent of a degree yeah and therefore they should qualify for the job um so that's actually you know that's something that's also important and um, uh, it, it, yeah. Again, it's it's focused. The H-1B is focused on the position, not necessarily in terms of the requirements, not necessarily the person. Right. I
2: think I think that it's important to note though, because a lot of people ask me about that one. Like, oh, I don't want to go to school. They're student level, so like they have not had a lot of experience. That experience level is high. Like the requirement, if for them to deem that you have enough experience to like be like, hey, you don't even need to go to school. It's not based on skill, like, and that's a really hard thing for a lot of people to let go of. Like, I don't think they necessarily care that you're very good. Like, you need to prove that in the form of having jobs. And if you're that good, you're, you're most likely going to get jobs. But that work experience needs to be, like, a cumulative amount of time. Like, it can't just be, I'm real good at this. Um, yeah, it's,
1: I think it's over five years or something like that.
2: Yeah, and there's this really shitty thing that gets said pretty frequently that, um, if you're good enough, a company will make it work. And it's just super not true. Like if, if there's so many situations that could make that not work out. Yeah. Um, so you can't, you can't just ex- expect that that's how it's going to happen. Like you need to be prepared for, all sorts of things
1: i think i think the um the saying when you're good enough the company's going to make it work it goes towards really talented people that uh, are applying for really high positions uh or being like whether it's an art director or you know production designer for film things that are really significant not like just a regular concept artist where they can argue that you know there's a reason why we want to have you there or find a way to make you work one way or another, but it's not like a hop and then you you can work. It it doesn't work that way. Yeah. Um, And
2: those people usually have, like if you're getting hired into an art director position in entertainment, you have worked before. Like you haven't just, you know, fallen like an 18 year old kid. That's like, Hey, cool. I'm an art director now. Like that doesn't, really happen in this industry, like if you're that good, then you've been working already You yeah. and you ha- probably have that work experience. So yeah, the company it, doesn't have to do anything like you meet the requirements.
1: It applies more to green card, I would, I would say, than anything else, you know. Um, But yeah, that's true. That's absolutely true. So don't don't sit, don't trust yourself like, oh, I'm so skilled. It's no way they're going to reject me. Uh, they will. They will just look at numbers. They don't care if you're good enough or not, the immigration officers, they're not our directors. They don't, can't, they cannot judge whether you're good or not. They, they won't even judge whether you're good or not based on what company wants to hire you because they don't care either. Like that's not their field. They don't know how significant it is to be getting an offer from Naughty Dog or Riot Games or any other bigger company. You know, they go, oh, this is a company I've heard about, but uh, you know, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's yeah, that's
0: actually a really important point because it's, it's um, the officers are, they're laypeople, um, you know, they're definitely not experts. Uh, yeah. So that's actually something, you know, if you're, if you're trying to make the case for yourself, you want to make sure that you, you, you know, you put yourself in the shoes of somebody who does not have, they, they're just coming off the street, they don't have expertise in your field. You want to, you want to be able to try to explain why your work is, is is significant to somebody who has no. Like you just have to assume they have no knowledge of, of um, art history or art background or the technical aspects of what you do. Amazing as how much they, you know, as amazing as they are, you, you're going to get a, a layperson at U.S. Immigration who's just be like, I don't know what this is. What it, yeah. what what? Why is this important? Yeah. It's
1: yeah. Like... yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Alex. No,
0: um,
2: sorry. there's a weird perception that it's the company that does that for you and it's not like they're not the ones that make that final decision they'll do they'll hook you up with lawyers it's a good company like Naughty Dog has lawyers and everything that that they utilize for stuff like this um but like there are like I've worked for companies that didn't have lawyers and I had to reach out and you know get my own so um yeah, you're not, it's not the company that makes that decision. The company makes the decision to hire you based on your skill set. the government and those, those agents, they make the decision to let you in or not. And the company does their best to prepare you for, and the lawyer does their best to prepare you for what you're going to expect at the border, but they are not the ones that make the final decision. Um, the border patrol agent does.
1: Absolutely. That's absolutely true. Uh, cool. I think that covers uh, quite a lot of confusion that is out there. Uh, We got a bunch of questions that I want to jump into uh, so we don't go way overboard with the amount of time we spend here as we are all busy people. Um, (laughs) But there is a bunch of questions that people were asking along the way. So I want to jump into them and and get going. So and some of them are actually going to touch upon the things that we haven't discussed. So that's going to be a good segue here. So let's go with the first one. Uh, they are nor, not not chrono- chronologically taken. I was just trying to sort of like copy and paste into my notepad everything that I saw. Uh, so the first one I have here is uh, I have master degree, master's degree in industrial design at the European School of the Brittany, and I was accepted as. At Les Gobelins, I don't know even what that, what that it's means. It's a
2: school, Goblins. It's like a French animation school. Right,
1: in Paris. Do you think it's worth it or not? Uh, I'm not it's sure. A cool school. I don't even know uh, what to For say. For immigration,
2: I don't think you need that. You have a master's degree. It depends on what you're trying to do, though, because right. here's another important thing just having a degree in anything does not necessarily count like you need to have a degree in a relevant field so i studied uh, neuroscience before going into art and i was like i want to actually do this um and (laughs) that education didn't really count towards me getting um, a tn for graphic design so if you want to go to that school it's a cool school i think they produce some really awesome stuff Having more education is probably not going to hurt you. You don't. I wouldn't say that you need that though for for a green card, unless what you're trying to do is animation and your other degree doesn't apply.
1: Right, right, right. Absolutely. I don't want to. I just don't want to sound ignorant. I just literally didn't know what that school is, and it's a it's a French name. So, uh, dude, cannot... look it
2: up. They make cool stuff.
1: All right, I will. <laughs> I will. They make really.
2: Like, you've definitely, definitely, definitely Calm seen down, some shorts Alex. from it. You've God. definitely seen some shorts from it. I'm I know you sure have. There's no way you
1: have not <laughs> I think I've seen some shorts. from. It. Yeah, everyone. everyone, everyone Damn. Now I sound stupid. All right. All <laughs> yeah. right. All, all good. All good. All right. Let's jump to the next one. I was supposed to be at the Zebra Sculpt Off today, but my visa was denied due to not having enough properties or for a reason to come back to uh, South America is going to be more difficult, uh, for me later. I guess, uh, that person was asking to, uh, he, he was coming here for like a <laughs> conference or like, what was it? It's like, a, Yeah, the ZBrush summit yeah, ZBrush that's happening summit. like yeah. right now oh, at yeah. Nomon. And they were just denied the, denied, uh, the visa to get here. That sucks. Yeah. That sucks. Cause that's not but even like work. It's just like, yeah,
2: wasn't it just like the visitor's visa?
1: Yeah, I think yeah. so. That would have been
0: a visitor's visa, most likely. Um, that's terrible. And um, you know, I had to be to be honest in that, yeah. It, so that visa denial, like I said, you know, I was saying earlier, U.S. immigration is doing um, a much more thorough job now of, of getting all of their information digital and recording all of their interactions with, with persons who apply. So the the denial is definitely in um, the U.S. Department of State system, I would say. And, and the next time you apply, you know, it's definitely going to be in there. Um, you're, if, if you're going to be applying for a tourist visa again, um, you want to be prepared for that as much as you can. And, you know, I should have, have started off with, with saying that everything I'm saying, you know, during this podcast, you know, none of it can be taken as legal advice. Please be sure <laughs> to contact your own immigration attorney if you have any specific questions to your case. Um, that, so that out of the way... I would say in general, if, if you're in a situation where you know you, you just had a visa denied, um, uh, you want usually the consulates will they'll at least give you a letter explaining the reason why they denied it. You want to take that letter, take a look at it, see what they're, they're asking for, um, and, and try to make sure you address that if you try to apply for a visa again, because that's definitely um, um, something that is going to come up the next time you do try to apply for a visa to the U.S. And in, in the specific case of say, whether you're, if you're trying to attend a conference or some kind of summit or something in the US, um, you know, you, you wanna make sure you bring, uh, maybe an, if you have an invitation to that, great, bring that. If you have um, a, a pamphlet or some kind of brochure or something describing what this thing is about, um, that's great too, because it shows that it has a finite period. You're showing that you're just attending for that alone. Um, you, you also just want to show that you have returned tickets back to your home country um, and, and um, any other uh, indicia of, of your ties to your home country if you're just coming in for a temporary visit. Um, so that usually, you know, that runs along the lines of um, if you have a lease with an apartment you rent or you own property or you have a job you're coming back to after your trip, those sorts of things. Uh, yeah, but yeah, and especially in the, in the situation where you've had a visa denied, you're going to have to address that stuff.
1: Yeah, if you want to come back to America for whatever reason in the future, I would say it's worth the hassle to actually take care of it now and make sure that yeah, uh, what what exactly happened? Let's get an explanation. If there's something that I did wrong, or is that just a mistake from the other side? Just getting that cleared out, uh, it's gonna get your chances uh, better. I think for the next time. Again, as you also as you said, Robert, it's all it's all opinions here, so. A also
2: idea. a part of that as somebody who i spent so much time doing my own research on the internet and reading like <laughs> i think i read the entire uscis website at some point like <laughs> i just read everything and it's not enough because there's so, it is so complicated as law tends to be Super convoluted. um and so the I know a lot of people shy away from the thought of getting a lawyer and and paying for somebody because there's this perception that's very expensive. Um, But if you are serious about going in, coming into the U.S., um, I promise you that there's probably something about your case that's unique to you. And so the best bet is to pay somebody to go over it with you. And it didn't like mine with, with you, Robert, never took very long. It was always like an hour or something. We would just sit and talk and you would, you know, talk about, all of the layout for me, all of the things that, you know, could be getting in the way of whatever it was I was trying to do at the time. And, um, so it's not like this crazy, like you're going to be on a five hour phone call that's going to cost you like $10,000 or anything insane like that. Um, consider it an investment. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, it's like, it's an investment in, in your future, just like buying Photoshop or buying ZBrush or something. Like you're, you're trying to immigrate and then you can, it's important to build up that relationship and find an immigration lawyer that works for you and um, stick with them because then they can follow you through the entire process. Cause I promise you, it's not a one-time thing. You have to kind of keep going back to them. Uh, So yeah, like I wanted to touch on that as like, we're giving you like, obviously Robert is a professional giving professional advice, but your individual situations are going to be vastly different and as somebody who tried doing it on my own, I say definitely, definitely, definitely get yourself a lawyer because, um, yeah, it just makes it easier and it also is less stress. Like I was yeah. very stressed out yeah. all the time trying to do it on my own.
1: You don't want to do everything, especially something you're not specialized in. You might make a typo, a mistake in, you know, checking the r- the wrong bracket, and you're gonna get denied because you were just stupid. That's that's basically that's basically how it works. Uh, robert i have a question to you actually in regards of when as we were talking about the visas do you could you tell us a little bit of uh like give us a ballpark of what's the cost of uh getting a one or h1b Ooh, um like you don't I, have I to don't be very specific it could be just a ballpark of what you yeah, can I... expect expect uh when you're coming in and just sort of to give it a prefix uh a lot of that stuff going to be covered as your uh, relocation package uh, which bigger companies do when they want to get you in and they apply and sponsor you the visa. That's what they, t- they are taking care of. But if for every reason you find a company that we really want you but you have to find your own lawyer and, and go through the process yourself, well let's, 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 uh, let's put the number on, on what that means. I don't know if I
0: I could and and okay this is going to sound like I'm trying to to you know get out of the, answering the question but right. but a lot of times you know specific cases like Alex was saying a lot of a lot of specific cases there are a lot of very spe- uh, fact specific mm-hmm. things that could make a case easier or harder um, so I, I really couldn't I'd be just, I'd be doing a disservice, I think, honestly. Sure. And, and this is, I you know, I, this may sound like BS. I don't want to. I, I, it's absolutely true. I, I don't want to put a figure on on things only because each case can be so vastly
1: different. Are there um, like I can't, specific USCIS uh, fees that you yes. know, like this is a starting point? Yeah. No, I can
0: definitely go into that for sure. Um, okay, cool. The the uh, fee. You know what? I'm sorry. I'm blanking out on my own. Hold on a moment. Let me look them up while while I've got here. Um, yeah, but yes, there the, are
1: on the website, by the way, for those. Who yeah. Just like, yeah.
0: Um, so so it um, I think Alex mentioned it earlier, there is the, one of the, the great resources um, to go to is the, the USCIS website. And it's just www.uscis.gov. And, um, you know, the, the website's actually pretty great because it does have not only access to all of the applicable laws, the, the, what we call the Immigration and Nation, uh, Nationality Act. Um, but it also has access to, you can look at all the regulations that are, are a subset of that. And it has all the forms for free um, with instructions. So by the way, if anybody's charging you for these forms, run away. Don't pay that fee because they're free. They're online for you. You can download them. You can print them out. You can fill them out um, by on, on your own. Um, of course, you know when it comes to legal questions or, or how to fill them out, you may want to, to contact a a professional who will be able to help you, but never pay a fee for the actual forms. Um, So let me just refresh myself here. Um, So the, the, for an H-1B as an example, there's a base filing fee of, of $325 US. Um, And then there are going to be some additional fees probably associated with that depending on, on your specific situation. Um, there there are a lot of different variables that go into that. So I really wouldn't want to go into that. But um, typically an, an employer, you know, if they if they really want you, they're 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 probably going to cover those fees already. Um, for the 01, the fees actually it's similar. It's 325. Um, there's also something that called premium processing where you can ask US immigration to process your case faster. I did I that. Like to, it's
2: really good.
0: Yeah. I like to call it, it's, it's, it's almost perverse. You basically are, you're, you're straight up paying the U S government extra additional money for them to do something faster and they'll do it. So. No, uh, yeah, they
2: do it and you get it really fast, but it's awesome.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the fee for that currently is 1,225. Um, and, and I do work with, um, uh, there's a variety of employers who will cover that fee. Uh, there are also some employers who aren't willing to, but you can, if you if you want to put the 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 cash down, you can cover that fee yourself. I did not um, know to... Yeah, Sorry? me too. Yeah. yeah, it was totally worth it. Three yeah, days it's took, worth it. Do it, do it, took, do it, do it, Took three days. <laughs> so um, the U.S. government is supposed to process your case within a, a max of 15 calendar days. Um, but sometimes they do it much faster than that but yeah. the, the premium processing service is there. So that's that's also something that's available. And then um, in terms of, if, if you have to apply for a visa stamp, uh, and I'm just looking this up myself because I always forget. Um, uh, but just be aware that uh, you know you also, if you're applying for a visa at a, a US consulate or embassy, um, there are also going to be fees uh, sometimes associated there. Um, yeah. Typically, you're going to be looking at I think it's 180 dollars currently uh, for a lot of the work type non-immigrant visas. If you're doing an immigrant visa, if you're you're coming in as a, a going to be a permanent resident, it's usually a lot more. Um, Ah, uh, but all of this information, you know, it's it's easily found online. Uh, you can you can easily just click uh, or or do a search for uh, visa application fees, or uh, filing fees, and and again, the USCIS website itself is a great resource.
1: Yeah. Great. Uh, all right, let's get another one. There's a few more. Uh, I don't know how much time uh, you have, Robert. By the way, so. i will oh, good. Really <laughs> mindful. All right, let's get going um where is it where is it uh what is the difference uh what are differences between working and student visas in u.s it's a good question it's a um so question too right a little a little bit but i can i can probably sum it up so the the the
0: student visas are specifically in immigrant u.s immigration law student visas are specifically for you're, you're coming into the u.s to um, study either at you know a university or college specifically, or you know there there are also um, exchange type student visas. Um, you know I think the the one that people are probably familiar with is the J-1, and you're you're coming in under um, a, a specific type of a visa that allows for you know internship experiences or or exchange experiences where you're you know you're you're learning stuff with a company but you're working as an intern for them, that sort of thing. Um, uh, so the I think the main difference really is that um, for student visas it, the the purpose is that you're supposed to be acquiring knowledge which you are intending to take back to your home country with you. Now in reality of course that you know what happens what ends up happening is a lot of people will come in on the F1 visa for example is specific to studying at a university or college program and then they'll stay in the U.S. Um, through a, a number of different mechanisms. Um, or if they come in on a J-1, uh, there's something you know that's called the two-year home residence requirement, where you basically, after you've finished your J-1, you have to return back to your home country for two years. But there are very narrow, but still ways around that. Um, versus the work visas, where the purpose is definitely explicitly, you're coming to work in the United States. It's not just for study anymore. You're not just getting information. You're, you're going to be in a working role right. in so I think I think that's you know it that is vastly simplifying it, but that is is the answer I think um, in, in terms of that.
2: You also um, you cannot do freelance on that visa. About so <laughs> um, you actually can't do freelance on any visa except for the green card. So you have to do work for the company that you've been hired for, and. Robert you might know some way around this maybe you make your own company or something but as far as I know that is like ridiculous and you can't do it and uh, yeah so if you rely on freelance income if you're like oh this job doesn't pay that much but I can still do my freelance doesn't matter if it's in a different country as I learned from Robert Uh, doesn't matter if it's your home country and it's going to your home bank it is still in violation of your visa so you cannot do that it's very important to know that
0: it is really important to know that, and and you know the the reality is, hey, how's the U.S. immigration gonna know if if I'm just you know doing a a, a commission piece just randomly, um, and and the problem you know the reality is, or, or or what's gonna happen is you know U.S. immigration might not find out, but you don't want to take that chance uh, because again, they have better computing facilities now, they have more access to um, financial records, a lot of that could somehow come out, you just don't want to risk it. Um, and and the other the other thing there is that uh, it's it's where you physically are if you're physically in the united states um, and you're doing freelance work that is not authorized by the specific visa that you're on you know again who knows how if they might detec- if us immigration might detect it but if they do you're in trouble and that that could mean yeah. that you get you lose your status
1: definitely definitely you don't want to risk that it's it's better to play play safe than sorry uh, if you really want to freelance, then don't come in yet. Uh, if you if you, if it just happens that you freelance for big big studios and big directors and big names and it, you know you m- you might create a portfolio that's gonna be good enough for you to go straight into a green card uh, without even applying for a visa. But I agree with you, Robert. He, uh, it's you know from my experience of the advice I was getting. I was, yeah, don't risk it because if it comes out you're done with the United States pretty much, you know, that's your, it's going to be your last visit here for whatever reason.
2: Yeah. You never want to violate your status. And again, either the lawyer that they hook you up with, with your, um, with your company or, um, the lawyer that you pay for yourself.
1: Right. Just confirm
2: with them. If you can do something like when I was looking to do a job for a Canadian company while on a TN, I messaged Robert about it, and we talked about it, and he d- walked through all of the reasons why I couldn't do it. And of course, you're still frustrated because it's like, why though? I'm not taking a job from an American, <laughs> but it's not like, he, as he explained, that's not how necessarily how her, the her thought case, process but, is.
0: Yeah. And I, think, um, and I think if you remember, I was frustrated by that because I yeah, that no, was frustrating. Honestly, so, so I'm gonna just be real for a moment and say the law about that in the U.S. is stupid. Yeah, it's i nice. not I I it's stupid and that that's yeah. that's what I have to
1: feel about that. Yeah, Tell it makes them, no Robert. Yeah, I agree 100 percent. It's it's pretty archaic. It's like maybe applied 50 years ago or something, uh, but not now. Um, yeah, 100 percent agree. I don't even know if you can start the company here. I know that if you can, you still cannot make money under it. You can be a manager that it's only doing an oversight uh, pro bono. I think that's how it works. And if the company is starting to make money, you have to pay it out to the employees that you have and not yourself. So yeah. r- you really have no options but get a green card. If you really want to be freelancing or working for more than one client, having a O1 or H1B visa, it's not really an option here. So.
2: You can do the thing. So O1s, you can have multiples of them. So if you have a client and they really, really want to work with you, they can sponsor you for your second O1 visa or your third or whatever. And you can like technically work for multiple people on O1. But that means you have to go through the process of applying for an O1 visa for every one of of those clients.
1: uh, And also it means that you're, you're, you're not overlapping the time you work on one or other job. You know, you cannot just say I worked full time here and then I worked full time here as well. Like, that's not going to fly at all because that's just a conflict uh, of one or other visas. So from my understanding, I'm I'm you definitely... can actually do uh, you can actually
0: do parallel H1Bs. You have to find employers who might be willing to, to work with you on that. But I've I have done. Um, or I've worked with, with folks who have, have done part-time H1B with one company and part-time H1B with another company. So that's right. actually doable too, but, but yeah, it's a rare situation.
1: It's difficult and it's only worth it when you really have something long-term going and you know that, that, you know, that specific employer wants to hold, uh, your, your services for a longer, longer time, not just a couple of weeks. Cause if it's just a couple of weeks, the amount of money you're going to make, you're probably going to spend on the on just getting the paperwork <laughs> yeah, out yeah, of maybe. the way. So, uh, more or less at least, um, depends. What Honestly, are, clients you're are today. pretty
2: understanding though. Like, yeah. So when I moved down here and I had to ditch a bunch of clients who were really good clients cause I had established myself before moving down here. And then when I moved down here, I had to be a student for a year and a half because I didn't have the right credentials and I really wanted to stay here. So I got on a student visa, could not do freelance anymore, could barely support myself. Don't recommend doing this, by the way. If you need to get your credentials, do them in your home country, um, where if if you can, because at least you can still work when you're in your home country. I did a really stupid thing, so I wouldn't redo it. Um, right. But I stayed. I stayed here, and I didn't work. And uh, yeah, I had to say goodbye to clients that I'd had for years that were awesome to me, um, and they were very understanding, and were like, "You're pursuing what you want to do, and we appreciate." I was just very upfront with them. Like, I, I can't actually do work with you anymore because of my current visa situation. Um, so yeah, it was a shitty conversation to have to have. I wish I could have kept them and I actually still keep in contact with them. And now I can do freelance, so I can actually go back to talking to them six years after the fact, but, um, <laughs> we'll see if they're interested in still working with me. Uh, but some of the, uh,
1: the more I had very similar situation where I just, you know, straight up had to reject the work and say I cannot do it, um, and then once I got my green card, they were back like, how's your situation now, you know? And they're like, yeah, I can work. Oh, perfect, let's do it. It's, you know, if here's the thing, if if, you're, if your work is really great, like if you're really putting it out there, then you're not gonna have a problem of finding clients, and the good ones will always come back. Like if they're happy with your services before, or if they are asking you uh, you cannot do it now but you can tell like you know you're going to going to be in the process of getting a green card you can always keep uh checking in and saying like, hey you know i just got my green card and uh, i'm ready to go so if you guys need anything in the future let me know you can always do that they're they're not gonna be like who the fuck are you (laughs) you know if you're good if they uh knew you before then i'm pretty sure that they'll come back to you um cool a few more questions uh a few of them we can answer really shortly uh first one is really really i think it's a really easy sort of i all right at least i think so uh, to answer how long does it take to get a green card after oh one there's three different types of green cards right
0: yeah um well so it, it depends on on which mechanism you go through so um I guess roughly there's there's kind of two tracks. Uh so the you know the O1 doesn't necessarily lock you into a specific track although it it makes it easier for for one of them. Um so one of the tracks could actually be family based. So if if you uh if you have um say like a US citizen spouse, um you know they could actually sponsor you for a green card that way. So, you know, you could get into the US for example on a no one Meet somebody fantastic, fall in love, and then get married, and that person happens to be a U.S. citizen. That's actually a valid way of, you know, I'm not saying, I'm not saying you should get married <laughs> to get a green card. <laughs> that's actually specifically not allowed. But if if you happen to be in that situation, fantastic. That is a way that you could get a green card.
1: They can. The audit other way, you, right? if you if you do it like uh, in the in the shady way, they can they can still audit you for for a period of time, right? Just to check yeah. if it's if it's if You're really living with your spouse, and oh, yes, yeah. I've
0: had so I've, I've I haven't had ha- happen have not had this happen to me, but I have heard stories of where uh, immigration officers go out to the address that somebody had listed on their application to actually see if they live together. I've heard of people actually running into the situation where they weren't living together because it was a marriage to get a green card and then they got totally yeah. dinged for it. Um, so yeah, so you, you. Like I said, you know, you have to be genuinely <laughs> marrying somebody because you love them and you you intend to be married with that person. Right. Um, and then, you know, the, by happy circumstance, that person you're marrying happens to be a citizen and they can sponsor you for a green card that way. Um, the other way is because the O-1, a lot of it overlaps with the, I think I mentioned earlier, the EB-1. Uh, uh, that's an immigrant visa type that, um, again, is for extraordinary ability. It's for for outstanding persons, um, and 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 you know that's no less true if for persons who are absolutely outstanding in art. If you meet certain that that certain high level, you may qualify for that, um, and um, that's one of the green card processes that you know could work for you. Um, you know, typically you're you're going to have an employer who's helping you work through that. Um, uh, that process, um, so that that might be a mechanism there, um, and then there are other you know less there are other employment-based green card mechanisms that um, that aren't as high level. Um, they they require the employer to do basically like a market test to, to to show that they they couldn't employ anybody else who's got the particular requirements that you have, um, but that is also another way through an employment-based route to get a green card. Um, yeah. I don't want to get into the details of that because that could take a whole podcast in itself. So. Yeah, for sure. So, but it, I can it's only, yeah.
1: I can only say that uh, I think EB1, it's the the best one to get because it takes literally several months and uh, you should be able to work. Uh, there's EB2, which is similar. It's just uh, different technicalities. By the way, you can read all of that on USCI USCIS website. It's all listed there with yep. exact dates and waiting times. And I know the EB3, which is the one that most of uh, people will be uh, eligible for, uh, that's the one where you wait years. Like it can be eight years, five years. I, I think it's no no less than five years of you yeah. working for a company and they're renewing your concurrent visa. Uh, so that's, that's an interesting part, by the way. So I think in 01, you can renew it any, like how many times you want without applying for green card, right? But H1B, that's the one that during the process, during the, the period of time you're being employed on H1B, you have to apply for a green card in order to stay when your H1B expires, right? Is that correct?
0: Yeah, that's right. Um, so yeah. the H1B you're, you're, you have a hard limit of six years. If you've been in the U- it, it, once you uh, are in the U S for six years in H1B status, um, then you have to either leave or you need to have some other mechanism that allows you to stay. Right. Um, the O-1 doesn't have that. The O-1 doesn't have an upper limit. Um, although it's, you know, it's, um, if you keep renewing your O-1 without doing anything else, U.S. immigration does start asking more questions uh, because the, again, the, you know, the, the O-1 and the H-1B are, are non-immigrant visas. Technically you're not supposed to be intending to stay permanently. Right. Um it, so the, the H-1B and the O-1 have this thing called dual intent, where you you actually are allowed to look for a green card while you're on them. Uh, but uh, at the same time, if you're just repeatedly renewing your O-1, U.S. immigration starts asking more and more questions as time passes.
1: Yeah. That's,
2: that's the true. same with the TN. If you are a Mexican or Canadian citizen and you're applying for one of the, T- the NAFTA. NAFTA's great, by the way. I love it. Um, so if you're applying for the NAFTA, the wonderful NAFTA visas, um, you can renew those. Uh, they, they go up to three years. I think they used to be just one year, but now they'll give it to you for three years and then you can keep renewing that. But I, I do believe that over time they're like, really? You're on your like sixth TN visa. Okay. Um, so so something to keep in
1: mind. Yeah. And I know that once you're, if you're H1B. It, it has a hard limit of six years. But if you're in a process of getting a green card, so I think it's uh you're on the, one of the application statuses that yeah. automatically allows you to renew until you get accepted or rejected on your green card.
0: That's right. Yeah, the, yeah. the long and short of it is if, if you're at certain points in the green card process, yeah, the law does allow you to keep extending that H-1B yeah. uh, uh, while you're waiting for your green card to resolve.
1: Yeah, that's true. Um, There was another question, which I, I think I can answer. Uh, it's pretty simple. The buddy of mine uh, lives in Serbia and wants to work in the United States. Are there any different procedures he uh, should look into, particularly since he's not part of the EU? No, it's it's pretty much for the whole world, it's the same procedure. It doesn't really matter. Unless it's like you said, you know, you're, you're a citizen of a specific country that applies for specifically for H-1B, uh, like Chile. I, I don't remember which ones you mentioned there, or like it's yeah. a uh, student status. But in most cases, majority of the country is gonna have the same sort of uh, laws, right?
0: Yeah, for the most part. The, so the yeah. specific ones, the specific ones that are, are usually standouts are, um, you know, we already talking about them: Canada, Mexico. Um, the ones that are the h one b one countries are are Singapore and Chile. And then actually Australia has an e three visa, which is it, it is kind of like an h one b, um, except uh, they don't have the quota either. Um, right So those specific countries, yeah, that those are are if you're from one of those countries, you have an extra in that you might not if you're from another another country. Yeah. For Serbia specifically, um I, i'd say it's it's the quote-unquote normal um wh- what you're gonna have to deal with unfortunately
2: the australian one seems even better than the tn ones and other ones because like my buddy at work it's has Australian's one
1: Australians a very chill man yes, <laughs> they
2: are but he has had like crazy uh thing like his wife could get in on his too as well which is not oh maybe you can do that with the tn i guess i never tried but
0: um, well, they, um yeah the, the, so the tn spouses of tns that'd be the td uh it, they they're able to come into the us on the td but they can't work um if i remember right spouses of e3s though from australia can and I'm that was the thing checking. yeah she yeah. could
2: work and i was like dang australia for h1b
1: and o1 is the same thing your your family cannot work when you're on that visa they come in uh, for o1 i think, i believe it's o3 for your yeah. for your family and i think for your like I, I don't remember what business partners or some weird categories like O2 or Guardian oh, I don't kind of kind of remember exactly what that was like a personal helper not family I, oh I, yeah like I, a,
0: um I forget what the exact terminology it, yeah. if you're coming as a, like if you're a nanny um a personal assistant or something like that there right, is a really right, 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 a really right. narrow right. exception there Actually, for H-1Bs, something important that, that recently happened, thanks Obama, is um, uh, certain if you have, so dependents of H-1Bs are called, they have an H-4 visa type, if you reach certain parts in the green card process, um, and uh, uh, if you're an H-1B holder, you've reached certain parts in the green card process, and you have a spouse um, uh, who's on H-4, that spouse can actually apply for employment authorization. Yeah. Um I have to wait a while but that's available now. So that is something that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's true. Obama's great. <laughs> yep. Thanks
1: Obama. Let's keep him. <laughs> let's keep him. Uh, what about Trump? Let's let's not let's, nope, nope, no, nope, let's nope, nope, not get nope, into nope, that nope, conversation. Nope, nope. <laughs> I don't I don't want this to <laughs> be never talking about that politically infused. Um, there is a que- there is two more questions. Uh, one, um, I'm actually a permanent resident in the US. Uh, does Robert know anything about permanent U.S. residents uh, moving to Canada for work? I do not. I'm uh, sorry. That, that's I might. All...
2: <laughs> uh, you, just because you're a permanent resident in the U.S. doesn't have any imp- implication for you moving to Canada. <laughs> you have to be a citizen to get the NAFTA treatment. Like, you, If you're asking if you could get a NAFTA visa because you're a permanent resident, I don't believe that you can. Yeah, it's separate from what it's i know a separate thing
1: from what yeah. i know you cannot be outside of the country for more than a year if you're a visa or a green card holder you have to apply for like a, a leave extension or something like that that basically says yeah yeah that you it's going to be more than a year but I, I will come back and they have to approve it uh i think it's if it's under the year again again you go on the uscis website it's all there um, there's actual numbers to, that you can check, um, it's pretty informative. And the last question is, as an international student graduating in the U.S., can you apply for o- OPT, which is the only valid uh, a certain amount of time after the, uh, you graduate? Is there alternative that isn't uh, that time sensitive?
0: Yeah, So so OPT, that stands for Optional Practical Training. And actually, let me back up a little bit. Um, so for persons who come in specifically on the F-1 visa to study at a US college or university, um, the immigration law does make available this period of short employment authorization called OPT. Um, so it's a, it's, about, uh, it's a period of a year after you finish your studies. So one of the key things is you had to finish the studies. Um, you have to get your degree towards what you were working for. Um, and then you're able to work in the U.S. Uh, uh, for a year. Um, you know the purpose of that is to uh, basically get, get a chance to practice what you've learned at the U.S. institution. Um, and um, you know, d- for for a lot of people, uh, what they try to do on that is is they try to get uh, employed or, or have an employer um, bring them on for hopefully a longer term period. And a lot of employers will they'll they'll try to go the H-1B route. while well, they'll try to file file an H-1B petition for that that person and hopefully get a visa number. Um, as we were discussing earlier uh, in the podcast, you know that there's a lottery now and it makes it very difficult. The other thing, though, that that just recently happened um, that maybe you might be aware of is is something called the STEM OPT extension. Um, so STEM, STEM is short for science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. If your degree um, was in one of these STEM fields, uh, then you may be able to ask for an additional 24 months or two years on top of the initial one year. So in other words, a a total of three years of work authorization after you finish your F-1 program. Um, So one of the key things here is that the studies you enter has to be in one of these STEM fields now you know I know for for a lot of, of folks who are in art that may be difficult um, if you are doing um, certain fields of art uh, uh, that are, are oriented around computers or video games or something like that you might actually have a degree that qualifies there is a, a list of the degrees that qualify online you can easily find it it's you can just type in an, an internet search stem list um, and it'll it should bring up the list for you um, so, if you do qualify for that, that's great. You have um, that is an alternative if you're you know not getting an h one b number right away or if you're not finding an employer who might uh, be willing to sponsor you for the h one b, if you're able to qualify for the stem extension, that could be an alternative to to hopefully, you know at least give you more time here. Um, and the other half of that is that you do to qualify for this, you do need to work for an employer who's enrolled in, in the uh, what's called the E-Verify program in the United States. Mm-hmm. And that's basically just the system that U.S. employers can voluntarily sign up for. Um, it's it's run by the U.S. federal government. It basically, it, it's an online system where they can check if you're work authorized to be in the U.S. Or, sorry, authorized to work in the U.S., I should say. Um, so that's... Super those, those familiar are familiar
1: with that recently. Yep. So. <laughs>
0: yep. Um, so so that um, if if you're on that track, you know, again, it, it, it's you have to, to kind of give some forethought um, to the degree program that you enter. And, mm-hmm. and I, I, you know, I, I more than anyone else can understand completely if you want to enter a program um, that might not be on the STEM list, but that's it's what you do. That's what who you are and, and that's where you want to go. Um, just be aware that, you know, if, if you enter a STEM degree, you do have more opportunities there
1: so sorry artists you're screwed but don't (laughs)
2: don't do science because it's practical because i tried that it didn't work out for me so you know just do what you love
1: yeah (laughs) all right i think we went through all of the legal questions uh i think it's a good time to wrap it up Uh, we've been on the stream for a little longer actually way longer than we normally do uh this was this was super super informative uh, I'm really I'm really happy for Alex to you be being here, even though you didn't speak as much as we expected. And that's fine because uh, we had really <laughs> important uh, topics to, to cover. And Robert was more than than great in uh, in you know, giving us a l- really, really more um, professional looking details into why and what and, and everything. Again, <clears throat> it's none of us; It's actual legal. Uh, Legal advice, <laughs> you have to in order to get actual legal advice, you have to get you have to hire a lawyer. <laughs> that's <laughs> when that's when the legal advice happens. It's all, you know, uh, information that we want to bring here and, and, and make it as, as possible as close to you as, as, as possible and give you as many resources as we can. Um, you know, I've been through this, this process. Alex has been through this process. We have stories <laughs> that go along with it, good and bad ones, too. Um, it's, it's a, it's a convoluted thing and you can easily get lost. Uh, I think the best, the best, uh, thing I can say here is if you want to move to us, if your portfolio is good enough and you have opportunities to move here, uh, we we'll think about two things that uh, are you moving here for work or are you moving here for a lifestyle? If you're moving here for lifestyle, then do all the research you can and, and be smart about why you're coming here, get a lawyer. And get everything as as easy for you as you can. Don't try to do it yourself because you you think you can do it. Well, the chances are you you, you can, but there is also a, a chance that you may fail because of uh, uh, mistakes and errors. And you can only be you can only then blame yourself for it. Uh, if you're thinking just coming for work, um, well, I would say think about it a couple of times before before you pull the trigger because again you cannot freelance here. Uh, you're going to be stuck for a couple of years on at one work, so it's not like you can change jobs uh, that easily. It it takes an effort, it takes time. It can be even more convoluted just to change jobs uh, while you're at the vi- uh, on the visa process. In some cases, it means you actually have to go back to your country for a certain amount of time. Um, so try to get as much experience as you can being outside of US. And if, you, if you're just coming for work, Think about maybe trying to freelance for that company. S- see if that works. If if you can, w- if you can open some doors later on, and you, you just want to commit for a couple of years and work for a specific company, and then go back, that's an option too. Uh, but yeah, um, I think that's it. Uh, thanks again, Robert, for for your time. Uh, you've been more than generous uh, being here and talking with us. Uh, I've left your, uh, the, your associates, uh, or your company, uh, link on, it's under the description of this stream. So you can, you guys can certainly go there and, uh, seek for some legal advice. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and I didn't talk much, but I painted a flower. So yeah, <laughs> <it> looks,
1: <laughs> looks rad right as fuck. Alex, you should be, I should get you on the next stream very soon.
2: Yeah, uh that was did. stressful i didn't have anything planned of a chase like hey are you gonna paint something i was like oh <laughs> shit! i guess
1: that uh, um, will be fun to actually talk about art too you know yeah, yeah sure
2: whatever this was way more informative I oh think. yeah
1: it is thanks it was, robert
2: because you're the best you
0: guys i was going to talk a lot about myself i apologize <laughs> no, <laughs> no it's I, all good I, that's, that's, that's the why thing you're that here i think
2: people are here i mean they can watch me paint they can extrapolate yeah. what i'm doing from watching it and i actually like, kind of finished this like i'll probably do stuff to it later but I'm like oh okay cool i'm done um, um but yeah i mean people can people always talk about art but they rarely talk about the the pains of immigrating here—they'll usually yeah. just be like, "Oh, they'll figure it out." It's oh, like,
1: yeah, don't forget about—you know—it's a family decision too, and you have to take really a lot of things to con- consideration before you, you know, decide like, "Oh, I'm just gonna move here." It's not that easy. It's not that easy. So, yeah. a lot of things like you, you just—if it's a lifestyle decision, then yeah, it might be an easy decision. But if it's uh if it's just like I'm moving for work and that's it, well. There is a lot of layers to it that it's just going to be really applying to your personal perspective and life and where you're where you're at with your life right now, where you're at with your family and everything. All of those things can can be really detrimental whether you should be moving or not. So something to to think about. Anyways, let's wrap it up, guys. Uh, Thanks again for Robert, uh, for being us with here and (laughs) answering all the questions we we threw at him. (laughs) <laughs> uh and alex for painting beautiful flowers Got <laughs> painted <it> a flower <laughs> Paint <it> a flowers. <laughs> all right guys uh till the next one there's a couple of uh interesting guests coming soon including alex as well very true in the future yeah all right, and yeah. um yeah let's uh let's wrap it up take care guys and uh till the next one Bye-bye. Bye bye bye